Welcome back, Wire Monkeys, to another episode of Let's Talk Cabling. This week, we're covering confined spaces, the dangers, safety tips, and some educational resources. Welcome to the show where we tackle the tough questions submitted by installers, project managers, estimators, IT personnel, even customers. On this show, we connect at the human level so that we connect the world. If you're watching this show on YouTube, would you mind hitting the subscribe button and the bell button to be notified when new content is being produced? If you're listening to this show on one of the audio platforms, such as Stitcher, Apple, Google Play, would you mind leaving us a five-star rating? And if this show is not a five-star rated show, let me know what I can do to make this a five-star rated show. Those simple little steps helps us take on the algorithm, which helps us educate, encourage, and enrich the lives of people in the ICT industry. Finally, Thursday nights, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. What are you doing? I do a live stream on TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, where you get to ask your favorite RCDD questions on design, installation, certification, project management, and even career path questions. But I can hear you now. Chuck, I'm driving my truck at 6 p.m. I don't want to get into an accident. That's okay. They're recorded, and you can watch them at letstalkcabling.com. And finally, while this show is free and will always remain free, if you find value in this content, would you mind clicking on this QR code right here? You can buy me a cup of coffee. You can even schedule a 15-minute one-on-one call with me, after hours, of course, to ask your installation, design, certification, or career path questions. Also, you can support this show by going to our webpage, the Amazon links, and buying one of those products. You won't pay any more for it, but I get a little stipend if you do. And finally, we're always accepting applications for corporate sponsorships to help promote this show. If your company mission is to educate, encourage, and enrich the lives of your customers, make sure you reach out to us on one of our social media platforms. Before we get into this week's topic, I want to ask for your help. Addiction has impacted many lives. In fact, addiction has even hit close to my home several times, affecting my family and the loved ones in my family. But now I'm thrilled to share a message of hope. Join me and the Loving Hands Ministry for their first annual Save Our Sons Walkathon. Your donation can help support those battling addiction, giving them a chance for a brighter future. Let's walk side by side and step by step towards the healing and the recovery of these men who suffer from addiction. There are four reasons why you might want to do this in case you need reasons. The first one. Donating to the Loving Hands Ministry provides a crucial support to those men who are battling addiction. Number two, your contribution to Loving Hands Ministry directly funds the addiction recovery programs. And that's going to allow those men who need to have access to professional treatment and counseling services that can lead to a long-term recovery instead of just a short-term recovery. The third reason By supporting Loving Hands Ministry, you can become an essential part of the compassionate community that helps surround and uplift these men on their journey to sobriety, showing these men that 
They are not alone in their struggles. And number four, your generous donation to the Loving Hands Ministry not only transforms the lives of those men who are battling addiction, but also helps build a stronger, healthier society by reducing the devastating impact to substance abuse on families and the communities. For information on how to donate to the Save Our Sons ministry event, go to lovinghands.net. In today's work environment, confined space poses a significant threat to worker safety. These tight and often overlooked spaces are not only challenging to navigate, but they can quickly turn into a death trap if they are not properly managed. I am going to delve into the alarming statistics that surround confined space accidents. I'm going to shed some light on the risks that you face by going into these confined spaces and where you can find some comprehensive safety training on confined spaces. Confined space accidents are distressingly common among a wide range of industries, including construction, manufacturing, agriculture, and even the utilities. Statistics reveal that these accidents contribute to a significant number of fatalities and injuries every year. According to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, also known as OSHA here in the United States, on average, 90 workers lose their lives annually due to confined space accidents. And furthermore, for every fatality, there are numerous non-fatal injuries that often result in long-term disabilities. Confined space accidents affect everybody. People affected by confined space accidents endure a profound and lasting impact that extends far beyond the accident itself. For the worker who may survive such an accident, the physical injuries may result in a long-term disability, and that can alter the way that they view their lives and their career prospects. The psychological trauma of experiencing a life-threatening event can lead to anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. This affects their mental well-being. Families of those injured or killed people in that confined space accidents will also suffer emotionally and financially injuries as well. They have to grapple with the burden of the lost income and the challenges of providing care and support. Moreover, witnessing a loved one go through such a harrowing experience leaves an indelible mark on the hearts, often leading to feelings of helplessness and distress. As a society, it is crucial to recognize and address the needs of those who are affected, ensuring that comprehensive support and advocating for a stronger safety measure to help prevent further tragedies. For employers, these actions can lead to increased medical expenses. They can increase compensation claims and the potential for legal liabilities. But furthermore, they just lost a valuable worker. They also can deal with a distressed work environment for other employees who may have witnessed that accident or heard about that accident. So it affects everybody, not just the person who suffered the injury. Understanding the underlying causes of confined space accidents is going to be vital to implementing preventative measures effectively. There are five primary culprits behind these tragic accidents. They include, number one, lack of proper training. Inadequate training for workers on confined space entry and rescue procedures remains one of the most prominent contributing factors. Without comprehensive knowledge and without the understanding of the potential hazards, 
employees may unknowingly put themselves in a life-threatening situation as well. Number two, inadequate risk assessments. Failing to conduct a thorough risk assessment of the confined space before you enter into it can lead to unforeseen dangers. The absence of identifying potential hazard and implementing an appropriate control measure puts the worker at significant risk. And number three, atmospheric hazards. Many confined spaces contain harmful gases, vapors, maybe even low oxygen levels, making the air toxic or unbreathable. Without proper monitoring and ventilation systems, workers may succumb to the to asphyxiation or some type of a toxic exposure. Number four, engulfment hazards. Some confined spaces, such as silos, tanks, and some other areas, are susceptible material for liquid engulfment. Workers may become trapped or even suffocate when these substances are unexpectedly poured in. Number five, inadequate communications. Poor communication between workers inside confined spaces and those on the outside can hinder rescue efforts, they can lead to delays, and all this exacerbates the situation. Now, certain industries or certain type of environments are going to present these types of risks. They're going to make you vulnerable to a confined space accident due to the nature of their work. You may have to perform work in many, if not all, of these types of environments. First one, construction. Construction sites frequently involve working in confined spaces, such as excavations, tunnels, and crawl spaces, where the risks of accidents are extremely high. Next one, manufacturing. Many factories environments contain both confined spaces within the machinery, within vessels, and storage areas, exposing workers to potential dangers. Utilities. Workers in the utility sector deal with sewers, manholes, utility vaults, and are constantly at risk of confined space accidents. I did a work at a utility once in southern PG County in Maryland. It was for the a water treatment place, and we were running fiber between some locations, and we were down in the manholes all the time, I'm sorry, maintenance holes all the time. So confined space accidents represent a dark reality within the various industries, claiming lives and causing serious injury with alarming regularity. The statistics underscore the urgent need for stringent safety protocols through training, through risk assessments, and just implementing these things. Employees must invest in advanced monitoring systems and rescue equipment and communication devices to protect the workers from the lurking dangers and the people who might be have to rescue them. Only by recognizing the gravity of these incidents and implementing a proactive safety program can we even hope to minimize the devastating impact of confined space accidents. So what is a confined space? To start off, let's get familiar with the, the definition of confined spaces. There are three elements that makes a space a confined space, and that's going to require extra attention for safety. Those three elements are, and it has to have all three. The first one is, the area has to ha be large enough in order for you to be able to get into it and perform the work that you've been assigned. Number two, it has to have limited means of ingress or egress, often meaning only one way in and one way out. And third, that area is not designed for continuous employee occupancy. It has to be all three to be considered a confined space. 
Places like maintenance holes, attics, crawl spaces, and vaults can all fall under a confined space classification. So I once did some work at a place that stored a lot of paper documentation and had people stationed there as well. It was inside of a mountain. There was only one way in and one way out. Was that a confined space? Let me know in the comments below. When working in confined spaces, there are a number of hazards that you really should be aware of and you should be on lookout for. Let's cover a few of those. First, inhalation hazards. One of the most significant dangers in a confined space is the presence of toxic gas or absence of sufficient oxygen. These conditions can lead to asphyxiation or respiratory problems for the worker who's inside that confined space. And if it's a problem for them, it's going to be a problem for the rescuers. Second, physical hazards. Cable pulling in confined spaces can be risky due to the possibility of getting trapped, entangled, or even crushed by heavy equipment or cable reels. Confined spaces may also even have uneven or unstable surfaces, posing a trip or fall hazard. If you get knocked out, you can't egress. Third, electrical hazards. In telecommunications cable pulling, there is a risk of encountering exposed wires or poorly insulated electrical components, which can lead to electrical shocks and electrocution. Fourth, communication challenges. Communicating with confined spaces can be difficult due to the limited cell phone reception or noise interference. This can also hinder coordination with emergency response efforts as well. And since you're under the ground, RF signals are going to be hampered as well. So walkie-talkies may not work either. The confined space that you may get asked to enter may qualify as a permit-required confined space. If the space has any of these elements, you're going to be required to complete a permit. If the material inside the confined space has the potential for engulfing you, for example, like flooding. So, for example, I did some work at Fort Detrick, Maryland, where we were pulling some outside plant cable between buildings. We were doing work in the maintenance holes. At the same time, another crew was blowing water through the pipes that could have, could have resulted in the maintenance hole being flooded and somebody getting injured. Another place that might require the permit is a confined space that is inwardly converging walls or a floor that slopes downward and tapers to a smaller cross-section that could cause you to become entrapped or asphyxiated. Or the space has other serious safety or health hazards like temperature. For example, like I did a project in the steam tunnels in D.C. Electrical shock or corrosive chemicals. All of those could require you to have a permit to be able to go in. You may be required to complete a permit by your company, by the customer, maybe even the AHJ. At minimum, your permit should cover what are the entry requirements and what are the documentation to be able to enter into that space. How was that space tested and how will it be monitored for gases, ensuring that the oxygen levels are between 19.5 and 23.5%? Is that space void of flammable gas, vapor, or mist? Is it void of combustible dust or toxic concentrations that are greater than the company, the customer, or the AHJ allows? How will any hazards be mitigated with existing and the duration times be identified for, for example, forced air ventilation? What are the protocols for being able to clean that air out and be able to go back to work? What are the required safety equipment like PPE, breathing apparatus, 
What is the maximum duration that you can spend in that confined space? Who are the safety personnel? Who is the competent person? Do you have to wear ice vests? The key to success and staying alive is to get training on how to identify and manage working in confined spaces. Here's a few ideas where you can get training for you to consider. The first place you should check is with your company. Does your company have the availability of any confined space training modules? Chances are that your company may already have a comprehensive training program that's in place and that program considers specific company policies and requirements. Opting for this option is going to be highly beneficial as usually it's cost-free and it's going to ensure that you're in compliance with the company's safety measures and the company's best practices. Following these best practices is going to guarantee that every individual within the company approaches safety with confined spaces in the exact same manner. And that's going to provide a safe environment for everybody, no matter which crew you're working for that day. Here's some example of what some best practice should include at a minimum. First, pre-entry preparation. Before going into a confined space, perform that risk assessment that we talked about earlier, and also identifying a potential hazard and plan for the appropriate safety measures. Who's going to be the person who's going to be pulling them out? Are they going to be attached to a winch? Second, proper training and certification. Right, The workers who are going to be involved in pulling telecom cabling in confined spaces should undergo specialized training to understand the risks, the safety protocols, and the proper use of the equipment, and also be trained on a regular basis. Next, PPE, personal protective equipment. Anybody who works in a confined space must wear PPE, and that can include helmets, gloves, eye protection, respiratory equipment if needed, and like I mentioned earlier, ice vests. Ventilation. The confined space should be adequately ventilated to ensure a safe atmosphere. It should be continuously monitored for air quality, for toxic gases and oxygen levels, and make sure that it's essential throughout the entire pulling process, not just when you go in. How is it continually monitored? How are you going to communicate? What is the communication channels that you're going to use between the workers inside the confined space and those who are on the outside? Using radios or other type of reliable communication devices is going to be crucial for coordinating emergency responses. What is the emergency response plan? Every cable pulling project in a confined space should have a well-defined emergency response plan. And this is going to include what are the rescue procedures? What are the evacuation routes? What's the availability of rescue equipment? Where's the nearest hospital? Where's the nearest fire department? Has the fire department been notified that there's people working in a confined space nearby? And teamwork. You know, establishing a clear role and responsibilities for each team member is going to ensure that efficient operations and a quick response to any potential hazard. Having a detailed best practice will make completing a permit a lot easier because you're doing it all the time and you're doing it the exact same way every single time. And lastly, don't underestimate the power of collaborating with other people in your workplace. Encourage open conversations about confined space safety and share experiences, good and bad, with your colleagues. By sharing knowledge and learning from others' experiences, you might be able to foster a safety-conscious work environment, and potentially reduce injuries. 
Another great resource for training is government websites. For example, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or NIOSHA, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. These sites offer a wealth of information, including downloadable guides, fact sheets, and even interactive training modules. The best part is that these resources are free, making it easy for anybody with access to, to this information to about confined space safety. Check with your accredited safety organizations. Many safety organizations will provide both online and in-person confined space training. These courses will cover the essential for things such as hazard identification, proper equipment usage, and even emergency procedures. Now, some of these types of courses are going to require a fee, but they offer comprehensive and reliable source of information for those who are seeking to be professionally trained to confined space mitigation. Check your industry association and trade groups like BICSI and NECA and the JATC. They will often hold events that are going to focus on confined space safety and may feature expert speakers and networking opportunities. Again, another chance to talk to people about confined space safety. Participating in these sessions can expand your knowledge base and help you stay updated with the latest safety practices because there's always new equipment. There's always new procedures. For individuals seeking a more hands-on or practical learning experiences, there are specialized training companies in every area that's going to be a great option. They offer tailored confined space training that's going to include equipment demonstrations, rescue drills, maybe even scenario-based exercises. While these courses will come with a cost, the investment in this specialized training can significantly enhance your safety skills and your confidence because they're going to train you on the equipment you already have. Some local safety councils and local fire departments will often offer confined space safety workshops. These workshops are not only informative, but they're also provided a, an opportunity to interact with experienced professionals, the ones who are probably going to come rescue you anyway. And they've probably seen every different type of engagement out there that you can find. They can also offer real-life insights into how to work safely in confined spaces. And lastly, if you're on a tight budget, there's still some options out there for you. Many companies and organizations out there offer free webinars and educational videos that cover various aspects of confined space safety. These resources are accessible to anybody with an interconnection and can be excellent starting points for self-learning. Check out Cable Installation and Maintenance Magazine. They often have free webinars. I have only scratched the surface on confined space and confined space safety. I hope that by exposing you to some of this information, realize that you might need to learn more because your life might be dependent on it. Your family's welfare might be dependent on it. So there are lots of resources out there. Get the training, be proficient, and be safe. Until next time, remember, knowledge is power. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.